Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pramer, Scopal Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Friday edition. A little later than normal, but hey, things happen. Uh, we are discussing Oregon football recruiting. Uh, it's a big weekend for the Ducks. It's also been a big week for the Oregon Ducks with landing uh, two verbal commitments this week in the 2022 recruiting class. Guys, it, it it's a shriek, but yet it feels like a long week because they've landed two commitments, and, and that feels so long ago. Um, mm-hmm. Kawika Rogers, a three-star offensive tackle uh, from Hawaii. He is the fourth best player in the state. He was first. He gave his verbal commitment Monday. And then Tuesday evening, Justice Lowe, a three-star athlete, four best, uh, fourth best player in the state of Oregon. He gave a verbal commitment to the Oregon Ducks. And he's an athlete, but coming to Oregon as a receiver. And so, we're, we're, what we're gonna—we've already talked about both of those guys on the podcast already. So, we're not really gonna break down their commitments individually, but just more so where Oregon is at now in the 2022 class. They've got seven players signed. Uh, four guys are currently committed to this program that have not signed. Uh, Trey John Williams, Grayson Halton, two four stars are the other four, uh, the other two, along with Lowe and Rogers. And then we've seen three transfers Christian Gonzalez, um, Sam Tiamani, and Bo Nix have all joined the, the mix here. And we look at this class seven, uh, 14 total players committed. And it, I think there's, some holes that have been filled, and yet there's probably some opportunities still out there that Oregon needs to be able to fill up on both sides of the football. Yeah, I think there's no question about it. Um, I guess we'll start offense because I think that's just the way my brain works. I don't know if, <laughs> if I just find myself going, let's start offense, go to yeah. defense, because that's just the way my mind works. Um, well, with the uncertainty with Travis Dye, I think you owe yourself to take a look at running back, um, and they already are, are in involved with Andrew Paul, who's – like Oregon's up against the big boys right now. This I think we've talked about him br- briefly, but Paul, go watch Paul's tape. That guy's a freak. And yeah. if Oregon were to land him, he was an unheralded recruit out of Texas um, going into his senior season and then ran for like 2,000-something yards, nine yards a carry, a ton of touchdowns. And you go watch his tape, and it's like it's it's earned. Like he's, he's an incredibly talented running back. He's got great size and speed. Um, Oregon's going to have to really effort to land him. He's looking at a lot of the top schools nationally. I've also got involved like Clemson, Michigan, I think Notre Dame, the, the other ones. Um, it's going to be tough sledding, but I think a running back makes sense. I still think receivers, you know, I know they landed low. Um, I know there's some portal guys that they're in on, and, and, and maybe that's the direction they go. But from a prep perspective, if there's a receiver out there, I think bring him on because they need some numbers. And and honestly, like, and, and, and maybe that's why – Portal makes more sense in terms of splitting up classes because it is a lot of freshmen and sophomore currently on the roster. If you bring in a, say you bring in a Chase Coda, who's a senior, who's been rumored, by the way, former UCLA receiver, uh, South Medford High School, came out of Oregon, kid that has some attachments to the school. Like that would make some sense in terms of splitting up the classes too because he's a little bit older player and and somebody who would provide a little bit of veteran, maybe a leadership there. So I, I think both of those skill spots, I would look to add players. I, I don't know if there's really more need along the offensive line now that they have Rodgers and Wooten in place and they already had a lot of guys coming in. Some of this will come down to the transfer portal, how many guys they lose, but I, I think they can probably stand pat along the offensive line. I'm still kind of like quarterback as a spot to watch. And I don't know if there's a prep recruit in 22 and it certainly doesn't seem like it. we're coming down the stretch run here and there's not a name that's set to visit or anything, but I still would keep an eye out of maybe them looking in the portal at quarterback just because you currently have only a three on this on the roster going into 22. And that's not, um, that's not great. Defensively, they need cornerbacks. And yeah. I think it's pretty yeah. telling that some of the names we're going to talk about visiting upcoming and then also some of the names that just attack, you know, they're, they're, they're recruiting are at this position. Jaleel Florence obviously being the most uh, notable one, a couple of corners out of Texas, um, and Kamari Terrell and Jalen Davis Robinson. Like, I know it's a, those three names are always tough. I mean, I have to remember three different names. I mean, come on, it was hard enough. Um, but th- I think it's notable that those are those are we, we know names at corner. I mean, those are three pretty highly regarded corners that Oregon is in on um, Florence being a former commit. And I think everybody expects there's a pretty good chance that he ends up coming back to Oregon um, and, and committing and joining his high school teammate. Uh, Jaleel Tucker also plays corner. 
But I think it's a position of need. We've talked about it. And then defensive line, still, right? I mean, they brought in Kristen yep. Miller. I think it sounds like they're in a good spot with him or a decent spot with him. Um, you need to add some more bodies there, I think. I, I think linebacker is probably the one position I'm not sold you really need to add more. I, I, kind of had a, I, I know that they had were short this last year, but that was really just such an aberration here with injuries where – I mean, I, I remember crunching the numbers in spring ball going, like, do they have too many linebackers? And then we get to the fall, and it's like, they don't have – they were using, enough. Enough. using defensive backs at linebacker. Um, I still think they could probably stand pat at linebacker. And I think you're seeing from a recruiting perspective right now, not a lot of names in 22 or in the portal that are attached that are, are playing kind of the inside or an edge spot. So, um, yeah, I think defensive line and corner on defense. And I think you're pretty set at safety as well. I'll, I'll start on defense. I'll go opposite because that's kind of how my brain works when dealing with this. Um, yeah, most glaring hole is cornerback. And we've talked about this a million times on this podcast. Um, just, you know, losing DJ James and Michael Wright to well, James to Auburn and Wright to the NFL draft. Those are your top two corners. And we haven't seen anything from Dante Manning or Triquist Bridges that gives us the impression that they can be a number one corner come September 3rd. Um, so getting Christian Gonzalez is really helpful. And, you know, most of the visitors that are on, on campus this weekend are, like Eric said, there are a lot of defensive backs in there, yeah. a lot of safeties or cornerbacks, just people who can or who have the, or are listed as athletes who have the body type to potentially move over to, to corner. Um, to me, that's the easiest, biggest position of need. And, you know, going further down the line, it's going to be extremely helpful for Oregon to have a, a bunch of younger guys, a bunch of recruits who can learn the system and come and play in their sophomore, junior, senior years. Um, I do think it would be beneficial if they were to get another portal from, or excuse me, another corner from the transfer portal, um, just because I they need immediate help. And regardless of how talented a recruit is, um, sometimes it just doesn't pan out in their freshman year. And they could be somebody who's, just not really playable or when they get, when they are played, they're just burnt every time. Um, this kind of goes back to like Thomas Graham and Diamador Lenore as freshmen. They were really talented, but there were still a lot of defensive lapses with them. And those are two of the better cornerbacks Oregon has had over the last decade, I would say. And so you look at that and, and, and you try to think of freshman cornerbacks coming in. I, I still feel like they could need, or they could use a, a, a portal guy someone with experience, um, maybe one of the few corners who have transferred out of Georgia, have a little relationship with Dan Lanning, something like that. Uh, secondly, I, I got to go on the defensive line. I've been you know, preaching the defensive line potential flaws all offseason. Um, having to replace Kayvon Thibodeau is a very, very, very tall task. And I don't necessarily think that the, the pieces to do that are on the roster. Um, whether it's bringing in a true freshman like Christian Miller in the class of 2022, um, if he's able to make an immediate impact, that'd be great. But that again goes to that criterion where he's a true freshman, uh, just an incoming guy. Like there's no guarantee he makes a, a, an impact. The issue with defensive line is you're not going to find a lot of edge rushers in the portal. It's just not how it goes. You may find them, but they are not established dudes. They are, potential high upside guys, maybe they're sophomores who got hurt their freshman year and never played and only redshirted, whatever the case may be. Um, established dudes, are, they just don't enter the portal as defensive ends. It just, it's just how it happens. You know, they already are an elite talent on their own team and they already wreak havoc on the other team uh, from, and they don't need to go to a new team for that. So that's the problem with that. So they're gonna have to rely on somebody who either greatly improves over the offseason on their own roster or really hope that they get an impact guy immediately as a freshman and offense. This is pretty simple. I still think it's wide receiver. They just need more bodies. It's as simple as that. It doesn't necessarily matter how talented that player is. Obviously it'd be great if you could land an, an immediate impact guy who catches you know, 50 balls this year and has six touchdowns. That'd be awesome. But more, more than anything else, they just need people who can play the position. Um, Travis dies uncertainty or running back, probably a portal running back would be great because although there's a lot of talent in the running back room, there's a lot of uncertainty. And despite what we saw from Byron Cardwell, who had a great year, great freshman year last year, if he goes down, if he gets hurt, 
Sean Dollars is the backup, and he's been hurt basically his entire Oregon career. I'm a huge Sean Dollars guy. I do think he has a lot of potential, but he's un, he's uncertain. He's unestablished. Um, if Die or Riddell comes back, those guys are established. You know what they're what you're going to get, and they're great number ones. But so I think it's worth looking in that um, offensive line. I'd like to just have some depth pieces there. I think that that'd just be for me. But now we're running out of slots in my hypothetical 2022 class, so we're going to need some people to hit the transfer portal. Um, Oh, I forgot to touch on linebacker. There's a part of me that just thinks that they're going to get a million linebackers just because of what happened last year. It's just like PTSD to Oregon. And <laughs> every time every time they sign a linebacking recruit, I feel like the entire Duck fan, Duck Nation, even though I, Oregon fans don't like the Duck Nation, whatever, Duck Nation is going to exhale. Or they're just going to celebrate because there's not going to be uh, no linebackers for the upcoming season. So maybe just take six of them. I don't know. Fill out the rest of the class of linebackers. You already have like you already have like fourteen linebackers or something. Fifteen, I think. It's more. Like, we need more. <laughs> there was not enough. A quarter of the roster's at linebacker. Did you sorry, go ahead, Jared. No. I was making a joke. I'm being stupid. Okay. Well, no one's stupid on this podcast. I mean, I don't think or I think we're all stupid on this podcast. <laughs> I don't know if they need a quarterback, another quarterback. Um, I'm kind of good with three. I think you roll the dice with the fact that you risk, hey, I I don't think three quarterbacks are going to get hurt this season in 2022. That way you get an opportunity to better disperse the roster a little bit. going long term let jay butterfield ty thompson battle it out in 2023 you have a freshman quarterback that also arrives um and you you go from there um linebacker like i kind of i get worried when you when you only have six guys on scholarship um at that spot but you look at the six who they are noah sold justin flo um keith brown Jackson LaDuke, and now you have Devin Harris, uh, Devin Jackson, and Harrison Taggart. Like the top two could be two of the best five linebackers in the country. Um, they're not going to come off the field all that much unless they're too tired to play. Um, so I don't know. That's that's probably one where if if you had more scholarships to give, I think you would without a doubt say, hey, let's add one one or two more linebackers. But but they don't because. The numbers right now, as we've tracked them, um, 81 total scholarships have been accounted for. Now, that does not that, – that does, excuse me, that does include C.J. Verdell um, on that list. So you could drop that down to 80. We all believe he's probably going to go off to the NFL. Hasn't made his intentions known. Um, was it's, a, it's certainly a situation to monitor. But you also have to save one in case Travis Dye wants to come back. Um, so that kind of washes it out. So you look at this and say there's probably for sure four guys that they can add to this mix moving forward. I, I think are we all three of us in agreement that Oregon's probably going to sign more than four guys? I think so. Yeah. Probably. I don't I, see why I, yeah, I, I think they go over four. Um, and it's just you look at you look at the names that are on the team and you look at the guys that just aren't playing. Uh, football right now and I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if we see a couple more guys hit the portal at some point whether it's in the next couple of weeks days or maybe it's leading up to spring football or the first couple of days of spring football or after spring football um, I, I think we'll see a couple more um, trickle out of the program and that'll free up the spots that are needed and, and we had this discussion offline a couple couple times now I I think um, it's probably going to be best case scenario for any programs to, to have a standard of operation to have one or two scholarships available at all times because of the transfer portal, right? Like this thing is going to be a consistent revolving door. Um, there's going to be waves where a majority of the players hit the portal, but I don't think if you're any coach, you know, Dana Altman does this at Oregon very well, where, he almost always assures that he has one available scholarship to use 
um, all the way up until August or September before the season starts, just so that if someone reclassifies or if some transfer hits that portal, he's got a spot to take it. And I think if you're Oregon or if you're any college football coach out there, you probably got to do that too, right? I mean, there's, there's a Oregon was hit by the opposite of this last year with Kingsley Sumatia leaving. Yeah. In, well, I think it was October um, and entering the portal and heading back home to, to BYU. Like, I, you, I think you owe, your, yeah, you owe it to yourself to have one or two available. Um, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, and for Kingsley, it's like if, if, you know, if you're in Oregon shoes, it's like if you were after a guy and you finished, maybe you were the runner up in their recruitment and they go somewhere and it's not a fit for whatever reason. And maybe they decide midway through their freshman season that this is just not a good place for me to be. You're now you're the school that they can transfer to, and, and not and, and they can arrive basically and have an extended freshman year at your school, kind of developing within your program. I think there's some real benefits to that. So absolutely, yeah, you carry scholarships. I think you want to hold a couple um, just in case of that, and especially with Dan Landing and trying to I think develop his own program. Yeah, um, his own players and personnel and maybe kind of style and uh, identity hold a spot or two. Cause I mean, let's say maybe there's a, I mean, hy- totally hypothetical, but look how much George is being hit right now in the portal. Imagine if something similar happens in the fall and landing maybe had some role in recruiting defensive player X to Georgia um, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, it's not working at Georgia. Well, now Dan has the relationship there and, and maybe can, uh, you know, that bring that player to Eugene and that could be, I mean, Georgia's we look at the recruiting class, like probably going to be a really good player. And that's obviously hypothetical, but this kind of stuff makes a lot of sense. So yeah, definitely. I think you definitely want to roll a scholarship or two over into the fall and into the, into winter if you can. Yeah. I mean, it would just make the most amount of sense because recruiting is fluid. Uh, the transfer portal is now fluid. You, there are these set periods of times where these things are supposed to happen and it never works like that. It's an all season long event. And you know, everybody's been up in arms about the, the transfer portal for the last couple of weeks, you know, after the season's really ended and during this dead period. Um, it's only going to get arguably worse come after spring football, because then now, like, the precedent is set of, like, what the depth chart is. Um, who's looking better? Who, like, came into camp more prepared than you? Yep. And now you're on the outside looking in. And so you as a player are now gone. You're going to, I don't know, SMU. You're going to TCU, something like that, because – you're looking for an opportunity to compete. And that's what everybody's trying to do is just looking for an opportunity to compete. But right now it's, it's pretty, it's, it's very hectic. I forgot what the number was, but I think it was like near 2000 players have entered the portal at like all levels of, of college football, which is absolutely absurd. Um, But there's only going to be more come springtime and keeping that extra roster spot or two open that scholarship spot, excuse me, is going to be huge potentially, or it could be nothing. Um, but with that open spot, they'll have the opportunity to go after somebody who wants an opportunity to compete. Um, I think that's kind of like in the last year or two, I feel like that's affected Oregon um, with not having an open spot, just like the inability to go and potentially get somebody like, um, like a Xavier worthy when he decided that like Michigan was not the answer and went to Texas instead, um, having that open spot. And like Eric said, finishing second or third in somebody's recruitment. And, you know, once they hit the portal, it's like, Hey buddy, how you doing? You know, that, that, uh, that connection that they've made in the past and that opportunity to, to bring them back into uh, a new spot where, you know, maybe they've changed their minds on a few things, whatever the case may be. Um, I think that's, that could potentially be something big down the road. Um, but I'm, I don't know, I don't know if that's something that, that, that Oregon should do this year. I almost feel like they should get as many kids as they can with, with what Lanning wants and then, you know, see what, uh, attrition happens for next year. But I don't know. I feel like they should just go all in for this season because they only have so few spots limited and just, you know, if somebody hits the portal where it's a big time, then it's okay because that's probably going to happen next year again. All right, let's transition to this weekend. And there's been already a change since we've started recording this podcast of who's going to be here and who's now not going to be here on unofficial or official visits because Oregon's bringing in guys from the 2022 class for officials and some of the best underclassmen are also coming to Eugene. 
Um, the first one is a change. Arliss Boardingham, a three-star athlete who Oregon has been recruiting as a receiver out of Van Nuys, uh, California, Birmingham High School. He's no longer going to be here this weekend. He will be here next weekend. And my instant reaction to that, guys, is um, knowing what has happened this week in the transfer portal, most notably Chase Coda from UCLA, going into the portal with one year to play. I have I, this, this news hit while we're recording, so I have not checked with this with anybody. But my just first reaction is they might be postponing Boardingham one week just to see what the numbers are like um, from a scholarship standpoint and possibly discussing, hey, do we want to go portal and try and find a senior transfer that's going to be a one-and-done type guy and we flip that scholarship a year later? Or do we want to bring in a younger guy that, that's going to be here for three or five years? Uh, and is that guy long-term better than someone that we could get next year? Um, that's no slight to, to Boardingham. I think he's a very talented player. He was an all-conference player of the year in a very good league in Southern California. Um, but I think that's the discussion that's happening right now. It's an interesting thing. Receiver is a position that feels like a need, but as we as we established at the top, like they just got low. Who's a receiver? They're in on some portal guys, and maybe they feel like what Matt's saying that Boardingham is. I don't want to say not a take, but is yeah. a little yeah. further down the pecking order right now, or that they want to explore other options, or it's something on his end. I mean, it, you, you don't know exactly, but I think what Matt's getting at makes a lot of sense if this is on Oregon's. If, if, if Oregon is the one that's kind of behind the postponement of the visit, I guess. What Matt's reasoning, I think, is is pretty spot on. What would you guys rather see, a Coda or a Boardingham? I'd probably rather see Coda right now just because I think you do need some experience. Um, Boardingham obviously would allot you potentially more, you know, years. More, more years and quality years in theory because Coda's a one and done, I think. But um, I still think you want to get somebody who's a little bit more reliable and experienced and i kind of like the code of finishing his career out at oregon element to it as well with his ties to the state so maybe that's just a little bit of bias i really liked him out of high school by the way i covered him a couple of times and had the pleasure of speaking with a really nice kid from a really good family but um that's probably where i would lean even though i think maybe boarding i mean i don't know we'll see what board i mean there's i think what you've got there is you know coda is you, you know what coda is boardingham you're kind of projecting and there's a possibility yeah. that one year of Coda is better than anything Boardingham gives you over his career. So push-pull kind of depends on how you evaluate the young prospect as opposed to the more proven one is where I would come from. But I, I'd lean Coda right now. Coda has, I believe, 20 starts in his career at UCLA. And he's close to 1,000 yards receiving in his career. And while that's, you know, over three seasons, that's nothing – or is it four? I can't I can't quite remember. Um it's it's nothing to you know run home and put on the front page of the paper. He also hasn't played with good quarterback play until this season, um, and it wasn't even elite quarterback play anyways with DTR from a from a throwing perspective. So I think he's probably been hampered there. I would probably lean. This is one where if the numbers were were not as tight as they are, I I probably wouldn't make this selection. I would say Boardingham. But with the numbers where they are and the depth chart of where Oregon is at, I would probably say take Kakoda because he's a one-and-done guy. Like Eric said, he gives you the experience um, playing in the Pac-12 and having you know, almost two seasons' worth of, of career start. Well, it's not at Oregon. It's just he's, he's played. He's seen a lot of yeah. football already. Um, if Coda can't happen, though, and, if, and that's kind of the one where – they're in a weird spot where you can't go out, I think, and land an elite transfer at the receiver position. Like, you know, a guy that's 1,500 career receiving yards and 15 or more t total touchdowns in two and a half years or what have you. Because there are, there are those guys out there. That, like, there's a couple of them. Uh, and But because if you take that guy, you now run the risk of maybe losing – Troy Franklin or Dante Thornton or Chris Hudson. Um, and that kind of just puts you right back in the scenario you were in where 
hey, we added a body, but now we lost a body or two because of a senior transfer. I don't think Coda's emergence out of Oregon would look at have Franklin or Thornton or any of the no. other receivers being like, I got to leave. This isn't for me. No, not at all. I, I kind of torn about this one because I, what I've been saying for the last couple of weeks is you need established veteran wide receivers on the team. And that is exactly what Chase Coda is. Cause he's you know, started like Matt said, like over or around 20 games at UCLA and has plenty of in-game pack 12 experience. Um, Played at UCLA, a big program, you know, knows Oregon, um, Oregon legacy type of guy. Um, but I'm also really interested in boarding him. Yeah. I like his frame and his potential and his, his he's going to give you at least, you know, three years here if he sticks with the program, um, which is more than Coda's one. Fun fact, we're all good at math here. Um, but I, I think I just have to, I got to stick with what I've been saying or else I'll look like, just some hypocrite over here. I would go with Coda too, because he provides some sort of veteran leadership, which there is none in the wide receiver room right now. I mean, um, Isaiah Crocker is like the old, like the most veteran wide receiver in that room. Um, Chris Hudson has the most game experience. Um, So they're, you know, it's, it's an interesting room right now. And I, I think somebody like Coda is much needed, but if, if Oregon could somehow crunch the numbers and, figure out a way to get boarding him on the roster. I think that'd be great. Yes. Um, just just a, a very unique kind of player to still be out there at this time and or like this time in the recruiting period. You know, 6'4", 220 is a wide receiver, has a, a huge build, um, kind of is like a, a heavier Devin Williams right now. Um, but somebody who, in a, in a good strength and conditioning program, might be able to turn a corner and become, you know, like a full-time wide receiver rather than kind of a tweener, um, that Jawan Johnson, New Orleans Saints role. Um, or Oregon could figure out a way to use him in that role, which would be cool. But, I, yeah, I'll, I'll take Coda for right now. But we'll see if there's if there's any opportunity for, for Boardingham still to still to make the roster um, – that news that he's visiting next weekend is, is interesting too, but, and we'll see as to why, but Matt, Matt could be onto something here with the number crunch. I, I think in a perfect world, you take both. Yeah. Right. And that's just unfortunately not going to be able to, to happen just because of the number crunch, like Jared just said. Now, a couple other visitors that are going to be here. Um, I've confirmed one of them for sure. The other one, I, I, believe he's coming but i'm not 100 percent sure they're both cornerbacks uh three-star corner jalen davies uh robinson from texas from wenatchee and then kamari terrell four-star from killen texas uh, shoemaker high school um oregon is kind of considered the leader for both of these guys and it kind of goes to what both of you brought up with the idea that Oregon kind of needs some depth at cornerback. And, you know, they've got six guys right now, seven if you throw in Jaleel Tucker. If they can reel back in Jaleel Florence, that puts you at eight. But just kind of like at receiver, you need two or three more guys at that position. And these could be those two or three more guys. If, okay, let's hypothetically here, let's play this game a little bit. Um, if if Flor- Let's say Florence is going to commit and, and, and re-enter the picture, and that brings you to eight corners. I don't know if you need ten. I think nine's not a. I think nine's a pretty good number. Um, I would probably be selective with these two kids from Texas. By the way, a lot of credit to Matt Pallage for I think building connections. These are guys he was recruiting when he was at Baylor. Um, so these are if, if they land one or two of them, he's going to have played a big role. And obviously, Coach Meet, the Demetrius Martin, the corners coach, will, will play a role too. But um, just thought it was worth acknowledging. You look at a couple guys from Texas. Pallage played a big role in, in kind of getting him out here in the interest. I don't know though. I don't think I don't know if both if, if Florence is gonna like I think you take two of these three prep corners, is my opinion. And if I think Florence is the most talented, so he's easily the, a take, obviously. And then if, if he's gonna come back in the full, I think you have to pick between one of these two. And I'd probably take Terrell based on his um, his track speed. I think he ran like a 10-6 or something in the open hundred. Um, but there but I, I don't know, it's kinda interesting. I don't think you can really I think it would be a lot to take all three, is my yeah. I think ten feels 
that feels like a lot of corners to carry into the season, even though we've talked about the lack of maybe um, top-end talent or experience there. I, and I also don't know if you really want to take four freshman corners in one class after you took three freshman corners in the class before it. Um, just kind of stockpiling those classes. That's why I always thought, uh, you know, you get Florence and maybe a portal makes more sense than a second true freshman. But clearly they really like these kids out of Texas. So, um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see, I guess, what if, you know, what happens with Florence if he ends up re-entering for Oregon? How selective are they? What do they do with these two that are coming in from, from Texas? Because as Matt said, I think if Oregon wants them both, they probably can get them pretty easily, I think, or, or have a pretty good chance at least. I think if Florence comes back in the fold, I, I mean, personally, I would like to see them go after a transfer guy. But since they're going so hard after these prep cornerbacks, it makes me feel like they don't see anybody in the portal who's going to be capable or like an automatic. They just really like know. these guys. Right. Or, or that. That's probably the, the best. Or that's probably the case, honestly. Um, I do feel like they've, they have they got Christian Gonzalez, who's a solid cornerback. Um, and now they're just hoping that one of these guys is going to step up. I mean, and the, the thing is, like Manning and Bridges have really good talent. They both emerged. They've, they had their moments in the past season. They just didn't have the, the type of moments that you'd expect to see from a shutdown corner. Um, you know, like, like Mike Hill Wright, like his freshman year in 2019 had those moments. Yeah. We were like, oh, this guy, this guy could be something. And whether that's like he learned from the tutelage of, of Graham and Lenore and and Javon Holland and all those like veteran guys, even though Holland was a sophomore, but you know, all these veteran guys who had had in-game experience, who had been through like the trials and tribulations of what it takes to, to get as uh, a lockdown corner. And maybe, maybe Manning and, and Bridges just didn't necessarily get that. It didn't like, click like it did with Michael Wright. But I think, if Florence and, and, and Tucker can come in and make an impact, that'd be huge. Cause then you wouldn't necessarily need a transfer guy. Um, I just still feel like they, they need some established dudes there. Uh, this is a super young roster across the board. And I think it, it doesn't get much younger than cornerback. And for them to bring in two more prep guys, if it's Florence and then one of the following pick whoever you'd like, um, I don't know. I just feel like that's you just you're banking a lot on somebody taking a significant step forward. And maybe that happens. And maybe it just looks like this was all part of the plan. And somebody, Tucker, Florence, uh, Bridges, Davies, whoever it is, maybe it's Darren Barkins, I don't know, just takes a huge step forward and becomes like a solid backup or a solid first a first stringer, uh, a lockdown guy, just somebody who takes this monumental leap, but you know, that's a lot to just bank on. And I feel like if they could find somebody in the portal, maybe it comes in the spring when they save that extra roster spot and somebody transfers out from somewhere else. But um, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to see, a, hopefully you get Florence back. And then I'd prefer to see going after the portal rather than another recruit. Just one thought on the corner. I know we have more visitors to talk about, it, but I, I I just kind of still sit here and think Dante Manning was a five-star recruit and a highest-rated corner recruit. I know he didn't. He hasn't shown enough to be considered a lockdown. But you talk right. about making that that leap. He obviously has a ceiling with his physical frame and his right. angles athletically to maybe be that guy. So that's why I, I guess maybe there's some optimism and maybe maybe there's some skill <laughs> the program that that Dante or Triquez, but Dante is the one I always think of having a higher ceiling based on his recruiting profile. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's something they're well, anticipating. Yeah, I mean, I I'm still optimistic about his upward trajectory as well. He just has literally all the physical tools you could ask for. It just hasn't clicked yet. And maybe with with uh, you know Tosh Lupoy and Dan Lanning's like new defense, maybe the schemes are easier. Maybe he just clicks more. Maybe Demetrius Martin gets and gets him to figure something out. Um, so, the, but it's still a lot to bank on because it hasn't been shown. And sure. that's that's just the only thing that I have an issue with right now. I think you take if if you can get Florence back into the fold, I think you take one more at corner. Um, and then if there's room for both, I then I think you do take both. And this is why Christian Gonzalez has joined the group. Um, Triquez Bridges and Dante Manning have, are like you guys have said have shown the ability to to be good players, and I think they will make a jump. I think it's safe to assume that one of those two 
will make a jump in, in their play to where you feel confident about them being your number two corner um, in 2022. And then Christian Gonzalez will be your number one. Uh, and then Avante Dickerson played in quite a bit of games this past season and it was solid. He wasn't elite or, or really special, but he wasn't bad either, I don't think. Um, but the issue here is I think Gonzalez, I think Bridges and Manning, if if they have good years where they, ha- you know, let's say Oregon does go on to play in the Pac-12 championship game and Oregon's defense is kind of as good as we think they could be because of all the talent that's back. And if they play really well, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if one or two of those guys went pro. They're all draft eligible uh, in 2022. Um, you just need one year to pop at that position and then you can get drafted. And that, if that happens, that leaves you in a position where you have Florence, Tucker, one of those three left, and then Barkins and Davies. Um, so I, I I think there's the need to go in and, and I look at Tucker and Florence, they're both top 50 guys. And if Gonzalez wasn't here, um, I, I would say between Florence and Tucker, probably one of them for sure would, would play heavy minutes. Um, and then I would argue that both would, without a doubt, play all 13 or 14 games, whatever Oregon does. So now with Gonzalez in there, there isn't that necessarily that need for both of them to, to have to play a ton, but I think they both will if, if they both come to Oregon. Um, and so I look at Terrell um, and also uh, Davis Robinson as these are the guys that, Hey, maybe one of them plays on special teams and one of them red shirts, or maybe one, or maybe both of them red shirt, but gives you that depth long term wise down the road. Um, when in the event that maybe a couple of your your upperclassmen decide to go to the NFL after the twenty twenty two season. Just I know we're we've really gone into the weeds on corner and this stuff, but I think it's kind of interesting. I I also will say that. Um, between Gonzalez, Bridges, and Manning, in theory, there's positional versatility because those guys have all played other positions. Like Manning was playing nickel this last year. Bridges has a history with safety, so does Gonzalez. Maybe there's a long-term outlet here where I know in 22, they're pretty stockpiled at safety and nickel. But some of those guys, I mean, Bennett Williams would be done after 2022. Um, Jamal Hill could be done after 22. And maybe it makes sense those players could eventually be replacements for those kind of guys. I'm just – in terms of positional versatility, maybe there's something like yeah. that down the line. Those guys aren't even playing corner down the line, which is why you're more assertive or aggressive right now. Because, again, one of the things you have to acknowledge is we're looking at these players through the purview of what the previous staff saw them as, whereas the new staff might come in and see, hey, actually, Triquiz, we really like you at this position. You're better for right. um, This stuff could be going on behind the scenes, which is why maybe they're uh, going after some more corners. That really, to me, makes sense. Because I think carrying 10 corners with – seven of them being still in the freshman years technically or six is like that's kind of kooky talk but if there's a plan to maybe have some new guys move around or something maybe maybe some of this makes more sense well i was kind of thinking the, the positional versatility as well and just how how this new staff kind of approaches it and i was kind of floating the idea it's similar to what matt brings up with with brian addison going back to wide receiver but if the new staff likes Jaleel tucker more at wide receiver than at quarterback and then maybe that's why they're going after a bunch of new cornerbacks. Um, I don't know. I, I do like Jaleel Tucker more at a corner than I do in wide receiver just from watching his game film. But he's still a tremendous athlete, and he was still a great wide receiver for Lincoln this year. Um, but uh, that kinda, I don't know. It kind of goes to the, what, what positional versatility that Oregon has. Um, Lanning spoke on that too uh, at one of his press conferences. I think it was this most recent one, his first off-season press conference, um, and he pointed to you know DJ Johnson and Jackson Powers, uh, Jackson Powers Johnson, both like playing offensive defense over the course of the year. Um, I think there's a bunch of guys like that on the team, and it'll be really I don't know. I, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how these, these numbers are going to be used. I can give my best guess, but it's probably going to be 100% wrong. And, <laughs> That's 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 why we're here. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be super interesting. Um, I just uh, the, the cornerbacks, man. That's 
could be a downfall moment for for Oregon. We'll see. Now there also is a running back that's currently committed to Georgia that will be on campus this weekend. Four-star running back Jordan James out of um, Oakland High School in Tennessee. Uh, he has committed but has not signed with the Bulldogs, and it's been a long time since he's been committed. Uh, March 29th of 2021 is when he gave that verbal commitment, um, and he, for whatever reason, has not signed. He's going to go to Florida next weekend. He'll be at Oregon this weekend, Five foot nine, um, almost 200 pounds, and a guy that is projected as a day three NFL draft pick um, by 24-7 Sports, was an All-American Bowl player. Um, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens here. He was supposed to be here last weekend. Uh, that flight couldn't get connected, so he's coming here this weekend. Um, curious what happens. Maybe it's a Travis Dye safety net. Maybe it's uh, a guy that Oregon just says, hey, regardless of what Travis Dye, this is what I think it is actually, Regardless of what Travis Dye does, we want to add another back, and Jordan James fits that need. Um, his fit and his addition would bolster this recruiting class in a big way. I still, yeah, I think running back's a position you address, even if Dye comes back. I yes. Mean, I still think, you know, uh, remember Jim Mastro was talking about this, and obviously Mastro is not at Oregon anymore, and we should note Mastro just hired by Nevada to be uh, director of ops and administration yesterday. Um, so good for Jim for landing on his feet. Um, took a while for him to land a job, which sort of surprised me. I think he's actually a pretty good position coach. Um, although some listen to this podcast disagree with that assessment. I still, remember what, I still remember what Jim was saying in terms of spacing out classes about how you wanted a running back every class. Well, Oregon didn't, wasn't going to take one in this class because they took two the year before. Um, but the numbers have reshuffled now because you're looking at Benson's not not on, you know, on the roster either. Um right. So now you're looking at you're kind of one behind on that strategy of having one every year, right? So I, I think this makes a lot of sense. Again, the, the Paul, if they can somehow, I think Paul is a better player. I know rankings wise, that's not the case, but I think Andrew Paul is going to prove to be a, a stud and maybe a star player at some place where you might like go, legitimately go watch that guy's tape. It's like, it's some of the better running back tape you're going to see this cycle, in my opinion. I think he was spectacular his senior year, incredibly. Put together and, and really, really uh, exciting in terms of what he can do in the open field. Um, I, I, I think a running back to take do Matt, even if, if even if you have die back, um, and you probably bring that player in with the expectation that they're that they're going to redshirt. Um, yeah. I also think it makes sense because I still don't know what Seven McGee is, um, and we're kind of I think in this podcast talking about him being a running back and a receiver in terms of the numbers here because if he plays receiver. Okay, they're, I think they have seven receivers kind of in the mix. But if he's playing running back, now you have six receivers in the mix and you go back to having, what, five running backs. So um, we don't know exactly where seven's going to fit. He could play both, which I think probably makes some sense in terms of cross-training, and he's kind of in the D'Anthony Thomas. Um, Byron Marshall did a little bit of that, although Byron ended up going full-time receiver at some point. Um, but I think that plays a role too. So I think running back's a take, and I'm kind of intrigued by some of these prep guys. I would have, again, I think taken a look at the portal, but – Maybe you're not. Maybe Jarek Broussard doesn't tickle your fancy or some of these other players who are out there, and maybe you just kind of like some of these prep guys better in terms of spacing out the classes. I don't know. Yeah, I think running backs to take as well. Um, I'm not. I, there are a lot of really good running backs in the portal, um, which kind of leads me to believe that Oregon feels good about Travis Dye because if they were to bring in some established running back with Travis Dye, I'm not necessarily sure that would be the best answer. Um, but since they're going mostly after prep guys where they might not be ready day one or close to being ready day one, but they have a stopgap year of Travis Dye still or CJ Verdell still, um, then they can develop and they don't have to worry about him. And they'll have an extra running back on the roster in, in case of emergency, basically. Um, now that could be just totally not how it's going. And, We'll, we'll eventually we'll find out with what Travis Dye decides to do. Um, but I, I, I think I'm not sure where I want seven McGee to go either. Um, Cause I think he would be electric as a slot wide receiver. Uh, I also think he'd be electric as a specific, specific down type of running back um, specific packages. I should say, I don't necessarily see him being effective running beneath or between the tackles rather than outside of them. Um, but he showed a lot of a lot of grit, a lot of strength last year in these between the tackle runs. Um, 
which I didn't expect to happen. He's, you know, he's a slight guy. He's well put together, but he's, you know, he's five, eight, five, nine on a good day. And, but man, every time he touches the ball, it's just one of those players where it's like this, he could break one off here. He could score pretty quickly if somebody misses a tackle or whatever. So I think wherever you can put him on the field more often than not, you have to, whether that's wide receiver or running back. I think you cross train him no matter what. I think you let Dillingham figure that out and just say, you know what, we'll, we're going to get you on the field. Um, regardless, getting another running back is really important, I, in my opinion. I, I don't The way the running back was structured last year was fantastic because you lose C.J. Verdell for the season after game five and – there's no, there's no, no pickup after that, or not, not that it's, excuse me, not that there's no pickup. There's no drop off after that. You just say, okay, we're just gonna plug the next guy. We're gonna plug our next talented running back and go in there. And if they can do something like that this year, where hypothetically they get Travis Knight back, he goes down with an injury, and you just plug in the next guy. You know, that's that's the type of running back room that you should have. And you know, getting one of these prep recruits that they're looking at would be a great step into that. And maybe one of them comes in here and shows off that he's the number two guy, kind of like Byron Cardwell did, who's was looked at like as, oh, he's going to be good positional depth. And then, nope, he's just going to be the number two wide or running back and potentially be the number one for next year. Yeah, I, I actually think um, I agree with both of you guys that it's a take, but I think whoever you do take, he plays in 2022. Um, Verdell, that's, if he does come back, and die comes back, then yeah, maybe he doesn't play. But I, I don't think that's a very realistic scenario. Even if Travis Die does decide to transfer back to Oregon, um, or is it just pull his name out of the transfer portal? Right. Um, right. I, he becomes the number one. Cardwell is clearly going to get carries. Um, you don't really know what you have with Sean Dollars. You, you know, we saw glimpses of him in 2019, um, but he was hurt and 2021 uh, and was out of action. And so you look at this and, you know, I, 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 he could be good and he could be rusty. Um, like, like you guys have said about Seven McGee, we don't really know where he fits. I think he has to kind of play receiver right now. Um, and in the event that Cardwell has the year that we all think he does, you know, he could be gone in after 2023. And now all of a sudden you're left with just Sean Dollars at running back. So I, I think you want to have whoever comes to Oregon um, play in 2022. But it has to be meaningful snaps. You know, it has to be, you know, they've got to get some production out of it to make it worth playing him in the 12, 13, 14 games, 15 games that Oregon could be playing. But this is another one where I, I kind of think if they had the room, I would take two and I would redshirt one and I would play one. Um, but they don't have the room for two, at least not right now. It'll be interesting to see what they do with, with James or Paul. I'm agreeing with you, Eric. I think Paul is the guy that I would want more, but if James is your consolation prize, boy, that's a, it's a heck of a consolation. Agreed. Um, all right, let's underclassmen. We won't go through the whole list here because we don't want to give away everything. There is a list on DuckTerritory.com, but um, quarterback seems to always be the popular position. Everyone is clamoring and excited to see what Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield can do um, moving forward as freshmen. But Oregon's bringing in another really talented quarterback for, I think, the second weekend in a row now for the Ducks, uh, Jaden Rashada. Um, out of Pittsburgh, California, Pittsburgh High School, top 50 player in the country, top 40 player actually, fifth best quarterback in the country. This is a big, big time player for Oregon. Um, he will be here on campus for an unofficial visit. Um, he's going to be meeting up with more than a couple of underclassmen that are going to be here as well. He's got a good relationship already with Oregon staff. Um, I don't want to say that that Jaden is their top target at quarterback because as we did in a couple episodes ago, they've got about four or five quarterbacks in this 2023 class that are high profile that are interested, seriously interested in Oregon. But 
this is this is up there. You know, the, the, he is in the first tier for quarterbacks at Oregon for 2023. Kind of on the West Coast. I mean, it's a really good 23 class. Yeah, especially Southern California. Um, I think a couple of kids out of Washington that are good, but this would be big. I mean, I, I think um, you know you look at recruiting classes and the way a lot of the time the way you kind of assess them is based upon the quarterback that's leading the class. That's a big part. That's a pillar of each class. Like we talk about running back needing a, you know, you want to running back each cycle, you want to get a quarterback each cycle and you want it to be one of the big names. That's part of why oftentimes you see quarterbacks kind of commit earlier than other position groups, I think in part because that helps build the class and it helps the school to know, Hey, I can, we can go out on the trail and recruit receivers and running backs and offensive linemen and other players on offense and say, Hey, we've got, the seventh best quarterback or the fifth best quarterback, whatever it might be already in the fold to kind of lead this group. So getting a Rashada or another one of these big name kids out of Southern California committed now, or even in the next couple of months would be huge for momentum building in 2023 in terms of being able to sell what the class is building. And it would be big, I think for Dillingham and Lanning, especially as kind of younger up and coming coaches here, trying to build this class and kind of trying yeah. to put some, I guess, a pillar or two, some, some foundation um, beneath it. So, you know, the quarterback position is always important, but especially to start a 2023 recruiting class and kind of get that in motion. I know they have a commitment from Cole Martin already, but um, to kind of get some of the momentum be huge to, to get somebody in here and committed sooner rather than later. Sometime in the spring would probably be great, but like if you'd have a commitment at this position group by the end of spring football, I think you're feeling pretty good about kind of what the uh, the summer months and then the fall can look like in terms of building it out. Yeah, I think this is probably the, the biggest fish that Oregon will go after for the class of 2023, at least for now. Because um, it's kind of, it's a ripple, it, it, excuse me, it's a trickle-down effect when you land somebody like Jaden Rashada. Um, it's like Eric was saying, it's a really talented quarterback class for Southern California. They got three top 50 guys. Um, all quarterbacks led by Malachi Nelson, who's going to SC, who's the number two player in the country behind Arch Manning. Um, but with if they were to land Rashada, um, this trickle-down effect is, is that people can look at the class and see that he headlines it. And he can do his own recruiting to other Southern California kids. Um, it shows that this is going to be the first full class under Dan Lenning and um, – Kenny Dillingham and they're, they're getting their own guy. Like Ty Thompson is not their own guy. Yep. You know, that was a Joe Moorhead guy who's still a really talented quarterback who could become something, something just completely great under Dillingham, but that's not his kid that he committed or that he recruited, excuse me. And this would be that example. And this would be, you know, a near five-star quarterback probably towards the end of the year, the end of the recruiting cycle next year. Um, somebody who's going to make a name for himself at you know, all these camps, all these, uh, all, all the games next year in Southern California. Um, he's, and he's darn good too. That's the other great thing about it. He's a top 50 player in the country, a top five quarterback in the country too. Um, it's important to get him on campus this early too, and get him established with the new, new coaching staff and um, just kind of, pave their way into his life and make Oregon a well-known brand. Um, I think it's important to see what UCLA kind of does with him. Cause I feel like that'd be one of the biggest contenders for Oregon just cause he's a Southern California kid. Um, I can't imagine USC taking like two <laughs> top five quarterbacks in the same class, but I don't know. They might, they might, they do love their five-star quarterbacks there, but yeah, it's this is probably Oregon's biggest fish that's on campus this weekend. There's going to be a couple um, defensive linemen, um, top you know, 150 players in the country that'll be here. Uh, there'll be some defensive backs that'll be here, skilled players on offense that'll be here. It, it I have to say, we're, we're not going to run through everybody, but just seeing what, what the list is right now, and seeing who Oregon brought in last weekend, um, there was a lot of excitement, hype, expectation, whatever you want to use um, to describe this coaching staff's recruiting ability. And it's one weekend, and you, you don't, and two now, and you don't want to make an overstatement, but 
seeing as a lot of these guys don't really have, you know, deep rooted connections out West yet. Some of them do, no doubt about it. Some of them do. Um, Lupoi, Meat, I think Dillingham has a really good relationship in the state of Arizona. Um, a couple other guys, I'm, I'm spacing on them right now, but they've been able to, in two weeks, bring in some pretty big heavy hitters for the 2022 class. You know, Christian Miller was here last weekend. And more importantly, the 2023 and the 2024 classes, to, to be able to get these guys on on campus unofficially, paying their own way this quickly, I just wanted to mention that. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, totally. It is. Um, I expected nothing different. Not that I'm saying I – I mean, these are elite recruiters. Adrian Clem, by the way, another name with uh, West yeah. Coast guys, Matt, from assistant coaching perspective. Um, yeah, these are these are – considered some of the best recruiting coaches in the country. And I think if it was a really quiet first couple of weekends, people would be probably, and it's probably wouldn't even really carry much water, but people would be a little concerned about, Oh, you're not, you're their own. I mean, we're already seeing slight digression. We're already seeing people on the message board be like, why are you recruiting Kamari Terrell? He's a three-star. Why are we, why, why are, we, <laughs> why are Justice Lowe and Quinnica Rogers committed? They're three stars. This is a four-star and five-star program. And I'm kind of going like, my goodness. Uh, but that's the expectations that you step into at Oregon, um, where recruiting has been really, really good. And again, I think if this was a couple of weekends where you're like, oh, there's no sizzle. These aren't big names. What's going on? People would, and somewhat justifiably, but again, big picture, probably not, be a little concerned. Um, now we'll see what they can do in terms of landing commitments and building, you know, finalizing the 2022 class. We've done a lot of talking on this podcast about that, but then also starting in 23, I think. Um, some of the names that are on the list that we have on duckterritory.com, you see the, the potential for what and the upside for what the 23 class could be here. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to start seeing some commitments roll in here um, probably by the end of this month and into the month of February. Yeah. I mean, the 23 class is, is massive. This uh, The 22 class is obviously going to take a hit because of the whole coaching change situation. Um it's just not going to be how it has been the last couple of years under Mario Cristobal. And for, yeah, you've seen the message boards on com where it's just like, Oh, these are three-star guys, like outside the top, you know, eight, 900. Like what are they? Well, you know, they have Oregon staff has had like two weeks to do something. Um, the fact that they could still get these type of guys, they could still convince a player, um, to decommit from Utah and come to Oregon is still extremely impressive in like a two, three week span. And and now you look at who is coming from the class of 2023 to Oregon on unofficial or official visits. Um, these are a lot of like top 150 players in the country. These are a lot of four stars. These are a lot of uh, players that are, are, are national recruits, not just guys from Oregon, not just guys from California, guys from Texas, um, Georgia, the, the Southeastern area of the United States. Um, it's impressive. And if, if you go on Twitter and you follow all the all of Oregon's assistant coaches, um, they're everywhere. They're yeah. going up and down the West Coast. Um, Coach Lachlan is in a different state every single day. I have I, I follow him on Twitter. I have no idea where he is today, but I'm extremely excited to find out because he's been going like to Florida, Georgia, Texas. Coach Pallage has been in Texas for the last couple of days. Um, Dan Lanning has been traveling up and down the West Coast. He was in Washington the other day in the Seattle area. These are – it's it's impressive. These guys I – don't, I don't know who's controlling all the operations here in Eugene. Um, but, you know, the, the coaching staff is making their footprint well-known. And that that those are the type of things that you would expect to see. And here they are performing and doing it at, at an above-average rate. So – the class of 2023 is going to be it's going to be a very fun one to follow because I, I really do think that they can um, get the Oregon brand out there as well, if not better than um, Amara Cristobal led staff, just because of who they have brought in, the type of players um, that they're looking for. And uh, I honestly, I think the youthful exuberance that this staff promotes is is important in all of this. Um, I think that's going to be a different type of vibe that goes around. Yeah, Jared, your point about Locke, like it, it feels like every 90 minutes he was tweeting out this week a different photo with him at a high school with a high school coach or 
<laughs> he bumped into Nick Saban while he was out recruiting. Yeah. <laughs> um, like that's just kind of ridiculous. Uh, you know, he was he was everywhere and all through Texas. And this is probably their biggest, you know, th- this is where they're connected right now. State of Texas, Georgia, uh, you look at the state of Florida, up and down the south, they've they've mm-hmm. been there. And they're tapping into those connections and being able to go out and, and visit schools and potentially bring guys in for visits and whatnot. So it's certainly interesting to find and fun to, to see this play out. Uh, we, we will have more coverage on uh, who, who Oregon is seeing, who Oregon is offering, and who Oregon is bringing in this weekend for visits officially and unofficially on DuckTerritory.com. Until then, uh, check out – our next podcast, which will be on Monday, barring any kind of crazy breaking news. Um, let's let's knock on wood. Travis Dye has the decision here in a little bit, um, and, and we can hop on and, and do another one there, breaking that down. So until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.